Well, Peter, you got anything rolled up for today's show? Um, I'm glad you asked that because I, I just got back in the door and I do have um, some some lovely uh, pre-rolls that I was gifted from a good friend a few weeks ago. Uh, so I realized I, I'm going to celebrate at the very end with that if that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's absolutely cool. It's encouraged. Um, <laughs> so, well, hey, give a quick introduction. This is your first time on the show. Uh, introduce yourself to our audience. For sure. So, uh, yeah, appreciate again you having me on. Uh, my name is Peter Contes. I'm the deputy director of the, the Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition. Uh, we are a 501c3, 501c4 nonprofit organization. Uh, we formed in 2019, really working to make sure, you know, we hold the state accountable for the harms done by the war on drugs, but ultimately to the, the goals of equity that, you know, our lawmakers made, you know, and our governor made back in 2018, 2019 about legalization. Um, and so we're, you know, an organization that does a variety of different programming around, you know, community, direct community services, like uh, record clearing events. Um, we have a, a holistic 12-week reentry fellowship program. Uh, but we also do a lot of know your rights education, making sure people understand, you know, weed is legal, but it's really not legal, um, as well as, you know, connecting that to things like political education and advocacy training. So once people learn, you know, why is, you know, the law is obviously messed up, but how did we get this way and why is it this way? And ultimately, how do we build a power? You know, we need to uproot these laws and, and ultimately, you know, build a state that is, is you know, uh, and the folk, you know, uh, have been at, you know, doing this work in the community for years. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Um, If you didn't say it uh, or if you did say it, my apologies. Did you mention a website or anything? Thank you for, for uh, reminding me. Yes. Our social media, we're on all platforms um, at Canna Equity IL on all platforms. Again, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn on the same place. Um, Facebook and uh, YouTube, we have you know, our press conference that we had earlier this morning. Um, we're on there, you know, at Canna Equity IL. YouTube, or sorry, Facebook is where the... the um, press conference currently lives uh we'll make sure that gets on youtube uh, by the end of the week and their website is is www.cannabisequityil.org cannabis is spelled out in the in the website but not in the social media cool we'll put the website link in uh the podcast description for folks that um if that makes it easier on you all uh that are listening or watching if you'd like to watch it's chillinoy.net slash video uh to watch this version of the podcast so, Peter, uh, there was a press conference today. You just mentioned it. Um, before we talk about the press conference, maybe we can talk about what what's led up to this. I know there's been a lot a lot of lobbying and everything. Maybe you can give a little bit of background and then I could I'd be happy to share the graphics for the press conference and we can go through what was discussed today. That's perfect. That's perfect. And so, yeah, just some background on, on how we got here. So, you know, again, the coalition, we founded in 2019, you know, as, as the lead up to legalization was ha- happening, you know, the writing was on the wall. This is coming to Illinois, whether we like it or not. Um, you know, our lawmakers, ha- you know, the ha- specifically House members had, you know, town halls across the state where we talked about legalization. Um, you know, we took, you know, pl- 100 plus people down to Springfield back in 2019 to advocate for things like, you know, automatic expungement, you know, mass, you know, commutations of sentences for folks who have cannabis records. Um, as well as, you know, investment into impacted communities and ultimately investment into entrepreneurs through grants. So these entrepreneurs have money to stand up their business. Um, You know, fast forward a little bit, obviously, you know, COVID hits, that changes the world, Um, you know, that seriously impacts the cannabis industry in Illinois because it led to, uh, it helped start a couple of lawsuits it didn't lead to. um, But, you know, there's a couple lawsuits that were filed that um, ultimately everything kind of gets resolved in the summer of 2022, last summer. 
And so, you know, in early 2022, the coalition, you know, we connected with a variety of different community advocates, as well as all of our own internal members to say, hey, y'all, you know, we realized legalization or cannabis legislation hasn't been addressed really since legalization. You know, there was a HB 1443 that was passed in 2021 that cleaned a little a few things up, but ultimately, you know, no substantial legislation has been addressed. And so we were in Springfield all of last year, you know, January, all of last year, January to April, because they're part time employees. Um, separate conversation we could have. I could uh, yell on that hill all day. Um, there, January to f- April, you know, making sure, hey, cannabis is important. You know, people, you know, the state is is going to, you know, um, ultimately lose entrepreneurs. We're going to lose tax revenue. Uh, com- community members are still being, you know, criminalized and stuff like that. Um, and we were told at that time, hey, y'all, you know, it's an election year. You know, there's too many big things on the table. We're just, we'll come back later after the election. And we, you know, we swallow our pride. We say, okay, if this is how it's going to have to be, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll take it. And so we come back later in the year. There's a special session that happened in, in November of last year uh, called the veto session, where anything that had to be passed had to be passed with a veto proof majority. Um, you know, it, there were some kind of heavier topics discussed. There were some lighter topics, more like technical changes. Um, but ultimately, you know, we, we were down in Springfield saying, hey, y'all, you know, you said you'd address this after the election. Here we are after the election. All of these people won their seats. You know, the Democrats kept a super majority. And so, you know, most of the concerns were kind of, um, <laughs> weren't really uh, that that big of an issue because these people held their seats. And so they didn't pass the bills during the special session in November. We did a big press conference at that time. We took a 50 plus people down to Springfield at that time um, saying, hey, y'all, you know, now is the time to pass this. And, and they let us down yet again. And so since, you know, j- you know, that literally since, you know, that that time, you know, over six months ago, we've been at the table with every community advocacy group we can find on the cannabis side. Um, who's, you know, whether it's obviously the coalitions at the table, but scenes, Chicago Normal, um, we have folks from the medical cannabis community at the table, um, awesome, you know, healthcare professionals like Katie Sullivan and Tiffany Reynolds with us, um, groups, you know, trade associations like the Illinois Minority Cannabis um, uh, Business Owners, as well as um, the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association. So it's a wide variety of advocates from uh, mostly Chicagoland and Northern Illinois, but we do have some folks in, in, in Central Illinois and downstate. Um, but the goal is everybody is here under one agenda, under, you know, banging the same drum, seeing the same message saying, hey, y'all, the cannabis industry in Illinois is an ecosystem. If we want this program to work, if we want the you know, promises of equity and justice that our lawmakers set out for, you know, back in 2019, if we actually want those to come true, they have to listen to the people they said they would listen to, uh, which is, is advocates like myself and, and our entire group, um, the folks who did the entire press conference this morning. Um, and so we you know, we, we hold the, held this press conference today because, again, again, you know, we've been told time and again, oh, yeah, just give us a little bit more time. And we'll get this passed. We've written the bills. We've gotten the community members on board. We've educated members, you know, from both both the Senate and the House, from from both sides of the aisle, from up and down Illinois, from Chicago, Chicago to Carbondale, um, you know, making it clear the hard part is over. Cannabis is already legal in Illinois. The controversial part is done. Um, and now it's all about maximizing the opportunity that's in front of us living up to the promises we made around equity and justice. And ultimately, if the state is serious, ma- maximizing their tax revenue, because we've learned that, you know, the messaging that we use around what's the greater good and, and the promises, <laughs> that's not what they listen to. They listen to tax revenue and, oh, we can you know make some money if we do this. So uh, we are changing our tune and, and, you know, trying to talk in their language. But um, yeah, ultimately, we had this press conference today so that we could, you know, really make it clear that they have nine days left. Nine days. May 19th is when this legislative session ends. And if they don't get this done before then, you know, they are telling business owners that they don't care that their businesses are failing. They're telling community members that, you know, we do not care if you have a job or a career in this industry. Um, And we're ultimately, you know, just just telling everybody in the state of Illinois, 
we don't even care about the tax revenue at this point because we're not willing to, to maximize what this industry could be. I was just going to share the flyer uh, for today's press conference because I felt like it had it outlined pretty succinctly some of the things that were discussed today. Um, do you want to go through? I know that you spoke on. I saw the thing after the fact on Instagram Live, and I saw that you spoke on the odor of cannabis. Which Peter, just before we get into this, thank you. Um, you spoke on it very eloquently. Uh, I, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with defense attorney Evan Bruno, but I believe he was involved in drafting some of the language for that bill. And he was on our show and um, good person. And I just really have uh, glammed onto that issue. So I want you to explain that issue for folks that aren't aware. Maybe we'll start with that since you spoke on that. And then would you be comfortable speaking on the other initiatives that were discussed uh, today. Absolutely. Yeah. I can, I can talk about all them. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, let's start with the, the criminalization side. Cause this is, you know, to me, and I, and I definitely think, you know, listening to your, to your program in the past, like, I think we, we agree on this, like, le- you know, it's not legal if, if the cops can still criminalize you for things as trivial as, Oh, well, he smells like weed to me. So I'm going to stop him. Um, you know, we have this situation where law enforcement in Illinois still has the, the authority to say somebody smells like weed and that is enough to stop them, search their person, search their car, um, which can lead to, you know, any number of, of different offenses and stuff like that. Um, it's pretty straightforward. You know, we, if, if weed's going to be legal, it has to be all the way legal. This is one of those really key things that has to get changed if we really want to embrace this as a legal substance. And so, you know, what we're requesting is, you know, in, in, in and what's been great is this bill did actually run by itself, Senate Bill 125, for anybody at home listening. It did run by itself. We expect this to actually get cut and pasted into this larger cannabis omnibus. So I am optimistic that it's going to move. If it passed the Senate, it can definitely pass the House. Um, but it's just really about like moving this program forward in the direction of actual legalization. Um, and that means holding cops to a higher standard. Like you, if, if I'm you know, acting erratically or, or you know, demonstrating, you know, I'm breaking a law. Show me where I'm breaking the law. And like that, that is what it is. But, you know, we have to move away from a system where cops can just allege that, oh, well, he smelled like weed. So I searched the bag and I found that knife that he had or, you know, he had a second substance on him. And now he's facing, you know, automatic felony possession for simple drug possession. Um, you know, we just have to move away from the system of, of punitive punishments and, and, and cannabis. Ultimately, you know, this this odor um, being, you know, the probable cause is, is a, really at the root of a lot of these issues that we face. And um, by moving forward on this, you know, we, we can move us a little bit closer to the goal of, you know, justice and, and stopping criminalization full stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that'll be one step closer to that. And we'll, we'll have more open discussion, but again, I want to kind of give you the opportunity to right at the top of the podcast while we have everybody's undivided attention to talk about, you know, what was discussed today in the press conference. So if you don't mind, I can display the graphic again, if you'd like me to, um, do you mind going through the rest of, uh, what was discussed? Absolutely. Yeah. Feel free to feel free to pull up the graphic. And so everything else that that was talked about, one other thing that I mentioned in the in the presser was around the badging conversation. Um, so right now, if you do want to work in this industry or get a, a, a owner license, you do have to get a background check. Um, you know, what we're seeing is people are being denied a badge in the state of Illinois. Um, it's not actually because the state is denying them because of a background check. It's what we're hearing is the state is saying, hey, Peter has this this, you know, class four felony from 2007. And we just think you should know because it came up on his background check. And these companies are then seeing that and saying, oh, Peter has a felony record that, you know, he can't, he's not cut out to work with us. 
Um, and, and really what we're looking to do here is, is really just clarify, you know, one from the state perspective, like if we're going to deny people because of a record, we want to be very clear, like what the state is OK with and not OK with. Um, because as an organization that does a lot of reentry services and, and record clearing and, and you know, hands on community services, we need to be able to communicate effectively. Hey, y'all, you should apply for this job or you should not apply for this job. Um, you know, we want to make sure we're telling people the truth about what's actually accessible in the space. And so, um, yeah, this piece is really important just to make sure, you know, again, people can work and own in this. This is, you know, ultimately our lawmakers were the ones saying, hey, we should prioritize them when we legalize, you know, nobody forced them to do that. Um, and so we just want to make sure we can hold them accountable to that. Um, and then some of the other items that we talked about. So one of the couple pieces we have on the medical patient item, one is, you know, right now, medical patients can only access the tax discount at the first 55 dispensaries. You have folks driving hours away and, and so many miles just to get, you know, medical cannabis. You know, this plant is no different. You know, it's, it's still grown, it's green and, and it smokes um, or it's consumed in other ways. Uh, but because it's being sold out of non-medical dispensaries, these patients are literally forced to pass adult use dispensaries on their way to a medical shop. Um, this is a super easy change. You know, it's not going to be a devastating amount of taxing, you know, revenue that we're going to miss out on as a state. And, and ultimately, this is about us, you know, showing respect and dignity to our, our, our medical patients and making sure they can get, you know, more, more easily and, and cost effective medicine. Not to say that it is cost effective because it is still insanely expensive. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do on that side. Um, you know, we, we do want to make sure they can at least get some cheaper medicine closer to their home. Um, and then, yeah, a couple items just on the, on the business side. So, or sorry, on the medical patients, last other item is curbside pickup. You know, we don't want people to have to go anywhere, especially if you're immunocompromised. Let's move away from that. Uh, we've had curbside ever since COVID first hit. You know, we've had, you know, executive orders that that put that into effect. But ultimately, we need to codify that and make it permanent because this is just, it's such an easy way to treat people with respect and dignity and make their medicine more accessible. Um, there's literally not a good reason to do it. No, not a good reason not to do it. And so right. um, we got a couple of medical items on there. Um, and then a few, just, a few just business pieces that we want to bring up. One is on the craft growers. So we've worked with the Illinois Independent Craft Growers um, as, as one of the groups with the largest a kind of collective of growers um, to really get to the bottom of like, what is it that they're facing? What issues are they running into? And, and frankly, the truth is it seems what's what's been presented to us is many of these companies will fail if they're not able to increase their canopy space you know there was talk like even if five thousand square feet of canopy space was competitive even if covid never hit and, and this didn't work out the way it did um but we're in the position now where you know the multi-state operators are still the only companies with plants actually in the ground harvesting those and selling those um you know these companies are going to face a huge uphill fight they're still trying to get operational for the most part um, yeah, I think we have two or three that are actually operational across Illinois. Um, but, you know, really what this comes down to is, is giving these folks a little bit more support so they can ultimately get off the ground. Because our fear is they're not even going to be able to, to open their doors if, if they're not able to increase their canopy space. Um, and so, you know, we do want to see how we can get creative to give these folks a little bit more support. Because, again, if, if they, these business licenses fail, you know, the ecosystem is, is depleted, knowing that, you know, we have 175 plus more dispensaries that are licensed, but have yet to become operational, like just those licenses need to be stocked. They need products to sell. Um, and if the craft growers aren't there to support them, you know, we're going to be in a very, very um, difficult position in as, as for the dispensaries themselves, because they're going to really struggle. And we know that the price of cannabis is not going to decline for consumers. And so it's really going to be, it could be end up very poorly if, if we don't get, again, the entire ecosystem addressed. 
Um, and then one other item, just because, um, you know, personally, I'm incredibly passionate about social consumption lounges. Everybody who's in our alliance can tell, you know, it's literally heard me talk. I've talked to everyone's ears off and I'm like, why is this not the, the baby we're all running? Um, and it's just, you know, our lawmakers aren't ready. You know, it's, it's very upsetting that, you know, they are still kind of behind on the game and, and what is actually happening because these lounges and clubs and events, they happen all the time everywhere. Now, obviously, Chicago is where a lot of events happen, but we've been to them in Peoria. We've seen them in East St. Louis. Um, and we know they're happening across the state because cannabis consumption is not something that just affects one big city. It's all over this darn state. And so um, social consumption is something I'm super passionate about. Um, I really, really would love to see us move these lounges and events into, you know, into operation ideally this year. Frankly, to me, if we can pass this in the next nine days, the summertime is ready for us to have these licenses. Um, but we just we're getting the, you know, being told directly now that lawmakers are still a little too concerned about what this actually looks like. And, um yeah, I think it, it might be a little too far for us now. But again, we have everything else from the medical pieces to, to law enforcement and badging um, to craft grow canopy space in the sort. So there's a lot of pieces in there. Um, there's a couple of other items just around like 280E taxes, you know, trying to find some ways to, to create a little bit more, you know, just flexibility for these businesses, knowing that, you know, this is the highest tax burden of any business in the country. Um, you know, there's some other things like that that are in there. But, you know, um, those are the main the main points supporting small businesses, supporting medical patients, ending criminalization, supporting people with records getting into the industry. Excellent. Thank you for running through all that. Um, wanted to make sure to give, you know, the airtime for, for that right at the top of the hour. Cause I know that, well, what is it? How many days are left? Not many, right? Nine, literally nine. nine. <laughs> so by the time people listen to this, maybe eight or seven. So, um, I'll ask you right right now, um, and then we can just go into um, open discussion. What do people do that are listening right now, and they look at the clock? Oh, well, first of all, what is the date? What is the last date? So the, the last day of, of the Illinois legislative session is going to be Friday, May 19th. Okay, thank you. So end of day next Friday. Yeah, and we, we've all heard this, so maybe this will be part of your answer. Contact your elected officials. Tell them to support what? What do we need to do to, yeah. to make this happen? So what our, our call out is for everybody to, and I'm going to put a link into the chat here that, that we can make sure that we share out with folks. It's a bit.ly link that's uh, bit.ly slash outreach help. Perfect. Um, capital O, capital H. And, and this included on this document is a way to, for you to find your elected officials. So you just plug in your address. Um, specifically, we're asking people to look up your state representative and your state senator. Everybody else is important, but for the cannabis conversation in Illinois, those are the two people you really need to know about. Um, and so we're asking everybody to, one, look up your state rep and state senator. And below on that document, we actually have an outreach script. And so you're welcome to use that to make a phone call, send an email, send a social media post, tagging them, you know, again, uh, finding a way to just get engage them directly and saying, we need support for the Alliance for Cannabis Equity. You know, we have this omnibus package. You know, really the direct ask is support the entire cannabis ecosystem and, and by passing an expansive cannabis omnibus package. Um, it's tough because there's there's kind of a, a small handful of bill numbers. Um, you know, because this is going to be an omnibus package, there's not like path HB 123 and, you know, we'll move on. Um, it's a little bit more complicated because the bill numbers are you know kind of kept secret by leadership. And so the other thing I will send to you, Cole, is the the one pager that the shared one pager that we do have that'll say like, you know, update the badging language with language from HB 1499. And then that way people can say, if somebody does ask, hey, but where does that language come from? You know, it does live somewhere else. 
Um, okay. So I did just want to be clear. We have the script and everything. The build numbers are a little funky just because, uh, you know, leadership is yet to put, put a bill number on it. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely send that resource and I can um, attach it to the uh, podcast description for folks to use for reference. Um, I think that's super important. Um, I guess, yeah, just give you any anything else um, that you think might be helpful. Of course, I would always recommend telling your friends and family to do the same. Um, anything else that uh, you can think of that we haven't mentioned so far? Yeah, definitely friends and family make a big difference. But just generally, you know, the cannabis community, we have a very unique opportunity here. All of us love this plant. We interact with this plant on a regular basis. We, as as consumers, we are inherently political. And so I just really want to make a direct call out to all my consumers on the line. Um, please make this worth it. Take the five to 10 minutes to send an email, to make a phone call, send a tweet and say, hey, representative so-and-so, I really need to see you out in front of the cannabis issues. It's something that's near and dear to my heart. The other item on this piece that I, that I failed to mention is for people who are business owners or are aspiring business owners, I encourage you to reach out to the elected official in the district of your business. So let's say you have a brick and mortar shop that's you know not close to your house, put you know plug in the address for that shop because it's actually almost more impactful that you are speaking up because ultimately they listen to the tax revenue, they look at the numbers and they see, man, I, this some this person's bringing you know fifteen jobs to my area. You know, they're bringing all this tax revenue. I, I should listen to them. And so I want to make a specific ask, not just to the cannabis community, but to anybody who is a business owner, cannabis or not, plant touching or not, everybody needs to make sure your voices are being heard on this. Because again, you know, you have something to lose on this. And so it's, again, really important that everybody, family, friends, next time you're in your rotation with your friends, please, you know, ask them to take five to 10 minutes, um, you know, think about these, you know, critical issues. Because uh, again, the more we dedicate, the time we dedicate now, the more we'll have to benefit in the end and, you know, less work for us to do in the future. So um, work smarter, not harder. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well said. Well, thank you for breaking that down and uh, for, for doing what you do to advance the cause, even if it's just, you know, a baby step um, it's progress. Right. So thank you uh, for doing what you do to advance the cause. I know it's um, I'm sure at times it can feel thankless. So uh more often than not, maybe. Um, so, well, cool. Um, anything else that that we should, I mean, we're going to be talking about basically all of those subjects, but before I just go crazy um, <laughs> and we go everywhere, is there anything else while we're in the pocket, so to say, uh, that you wanted to mention before we just go everywhere? I think before we get into everything else, I think just, you know, making it really clear, like, you know, as, as community advocates, we can only do so much. We can only, you know, put, put as much, you know, we can only put our best foot forward and, you know, this is capitalism. This is, you know, one of the most ruthless states to try and do anything in, um, especially on the business side. So, you know, for folks who are curious, like, you know, we've, you guys have been at this for years. Like, why are things not changing? Like, I really just need, you know, people to understand like the depth of, of the work that this is like the, you know, the minutia we're trying to move through in Springfield, the layers of bureaucracy, the layers of lobbyists that you have to talk to just to get to the sponsor. Um, I really I, I really want to be like super intentional and just like calling out like how difficult this process is and just encouraging anybody who can make the time during a legislative session to drop into Springfield. It's a you know, the Capitol is a public building. You don't have to have an appointment. You can just show up, um, just see what it looks like, see what the rail looks like outside of the chambers. And, and just like you're going to see, you know, you empathize a little bit more when you see like, wow, this is really how this gets done. It's it's 100 dudes in suits 
you know, hawking down lawmakers saying, hey, you got to talk to me about this. I'm working on this bill for the pork producers. And this person's working on the bill for the police union. This person's working on a bill for ComEd. Um, and you just get to see, like, really who it is that's doing the work. It's not like the class president growing up. It's not like, oh, this person has my best interest in mind. They really care about the community. It's people who get paid to pass laws. Um, and so I want to be very clear that, like, we're up against the, a, a genuine um genuine opposition here like we have a lot of work to do these are moneyed interests you have the mix of like people who are invested in it and they have money on the line but also you have an, an other end of of members who are very conservative and don't even want lead to be legal in the first place and so you have a mix of people um the vast majority of whom do not understand how this plant works how the war on drugs worked um and so there's a lot of educating that has to get done so before we jump into everything else i just want to share with folks a little bit of like a little bit of the vent session, like of seeing what it is in Springfield, you see under the hood of the car and you would be amazed that Illinois is still driving forward because this car is, is built on, on a house of cards. And you're like, man, we uh, one pothole and, and this thing is, is going up. Right. And, it, and I thank you for for saying that, because it's not like we're only working on cannabis either. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of uh, other interests. I mean, sure, like you said, there are money and interests behind cannabis, but let's just talk about other things in general. I mean, there's there's a new and vibrant gambling uh, industry in the uh, in the state of Illinois, right? Casinos and stuff are are becoming more of a thing. And um, I'm just pulling stuff, you know, easy stuff. But there, you know, I'm sure you could come up with other things that maybe you've learned things from being down there that's like, whoa, I didn't even know that this was a priority for people, you know? Yeah. And, and I think one, one thing I would just quickly share on that is like, so when we were down there in 2019, May of 2019, to see this get passed, I just want to be clear, like when the week that the legalization law was passed, we passed legalization of cannabis, a massive sports gaming and, and you know, casino bill. We passed the largest um, capital budget in Illinois history. We passed the Reproductive Health Act. We passed um, a huge debt repayment that bill. And so, like, I want to be clear that, like, <laughs> these bills got written in the middle of the night, got finalized, rubber stamped at midnight. And at 4 a.m., these bills are getting called for votes. People are not reading these bills. And it's not just cannabis. It's the gaming. It's literally all these other pieces to it. And so, like, being very direct with people that, like, y'all, when, when I tell you that, like, you know, we didn't have a bill number for this cannabis omnibus. We still don't even have, you know, real language yet from from the, the the lawyers who are drafting this bill. If we can't read it as advocates, we can't support it. And so, you know, there's a, a separate conversation to be had about like how business as usual works in Springfield. Again, you have the lobbyists and everything there, but just like this mad dash to be like, well, it's the last week of May. We might as well pass these eight bills. <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. You know, aren't these going to have like long term implications? And you know, shouldn't we read these? But you know. There's uh, people getting much. <laughs> that's a different pay grade than me. Yeah, no, I kind of wanted to start there. I know it is much bigger than you and I, but that's kind of where I wanted to start. I feel like that's the story of of politics. And again, I don't think we're going to solve that on this podcast today. Uh, but yeah, I was curious to hear your perspective of of the process in 2019 because I got the same impression. It's like this is rush, and one of the things I've asked many people is like, what you know, and people have different perspectives on it. And as you just said, the machine doesn't necessarily work this way, but why not take the time to get something right? You know, and it, it just seems that, and it's not even just an Illinois thing. Like it's mm -hmm. the way the federal government government works where they throw everything into one omnibus that nobody reads. 
I mean, that's kind of the yeah. story of the farm bill, by the way. I don't think people really understood the implications. And now everybody's like, why the fuck is Delta 8 and CBD everywhere? And they're like trying to figure out how to control it. It's like, well, when people don't read the laws they sign into effect, like you say, there can be far reaching consequences. How do we absolutely? Yeah. <laughs> again, I don't foresee us solving this, but I do just want to ask for giggles and grins. How do we solve the fact that our legislators are literally signing into law things they've not read and that have been drafted by other people, not by them? <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, there's layers too. I think one is like, you know, there, there are some lawyers, there's some staffers in Springfield who are like genuinely like saints. There's some people that like, I'm oh, oh so like deeply in, in gratitude too. Cause like they make sense of, of a, a world that doesn't make sense down there. And so there's a, there's, I have a lot of feelings about this. I think one thing I would say is, is like recognizing that Illinois lawmakers, legislators specifically are not full-time employees. The legislative session runs from January to May. There might be a special session in October or November, but like maximum they're working five and a half months of the year. Um, like, so nice. there's one like, wait a second, you know, I wish I worked you know, <laughs> yeah. half the year and got paid a, fa- a salary and a pension and, you know, got a company car you know, <laughs> next time. But like, so I think that that's really is, is to me, like one of the main issues is like, these people are not full-time employees. Um, and yeah, I mentioned earlier, encouraging people to come down to Springfield, come down to Springfield in January or February. They literally don't show up to work. There's committee hearings scheduled, there's subject matter hearings scheduled on the calendar for months and people just don't show up. March comes in, April comes in, you know, you get back from spring break and oh my God, now we have, 10,000 bills to pass. And it's like, what did you do for the first three months of the year? And it gets back to what did you do for the last six months of, of last year? What did you do all summer? Because, you know, we made the point, we were banging on the door like, hey, we should use the summertime to educate the lawmakers and to, you know, get a working group together with a bunch of researchers and lawyers and, and draft the best possible thing. So come January, you know, green light, we're passing this bill and ready to go. Um, so it, it's definitely, you know, I think the short answer is like, it comes down to these people not having full-time jobs with the state. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of reasons why they're not full-time employees. You know, I encourage people to look up the history of Michael Madigan and, you know, his role as a tax attorney and like shaping tax law as the speaker of the house and then turning around and working as a tax attorney. Like it was unbelievably flagrant, like how much, just like wild violations of the law and all kinds of ethics. Um, But they don't care. And so I think my short answer to this would be like actually having them be like, like more like city council people where they're full-time, you know, they might have a, a month off for, for a summer break, you know, so they can give some time to their families. But like, for the most part, these people have to get to work. Um, you know, their staffers are, are, are busting ass and, and doing a lot of, you know, work they do. When I tell you the labor they do goes completely unseen and unheard of. Um, these people deserve, you know, all of the raises and, and benefits, um, you know, cause they're the ones doing the work. These lawmakers don't write the bills. Most of them don't even read their own bills. Um, and so it's really like, calling out the need for genuine, like genuine reform on like how we do business. So like moving to a longer calendar year. So there's more time and, and process. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it all comes down to like, who's in charge, you know, status quo business as usual, this works for those people who are in charge. And this is not just the Senate president, the speaker of the house, but members of the executive committees, senior members of different committees, like they're fine with this. Clearly they're okay with this because otherwise they would have been out front and saying, this is not okay. Um, you know, you go down there and there's a lot of, you know, chummy and, and just laughs and, you know, oh, you know, it's, 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 you know, I get it. It's a workplace. You want to be friends with your colleagues, but like, 
you know, you see some of the way that they, they carry themselves. And you're like, if people knew how dysfunctional our state government was, they would be up in arms and, and ready to tear this thing down. Um, and so, yeah, I know I meandered that, that answer for a while, but yeah, I think moving to a, like a longer term, you know, a longer year term, you know, trying to ultimately, you know, get some of our, you know, new leaders in, in positions of power ultimately so that things can be more transparent. Yeah. And, and ultimately like, I don't think we should absolve ourselves of responsibility either. It sounds like many people are not holding their elected officials accountable if the case is that they don't show up to their job for half of the time. And I, part, look, I'm not part. trying to say that, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not all on, it's definitely on them for not showing up, but like, we got to hold them accountable too. Like it goes both ways type of thing. That's what I'm trying totally. to say. I'm trying yeah, to don't, don't hate the player, hate the game. Like it's the system that is like, this whole thing stinks to high heaven and it's on all of us. Like, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm, I think about how most people vote. I, sorry for cutting you off, but I just think about how most people vote and it's like, you get really energized to vote and then you just, as long as you know your person got in, you just kind of don't think about it anymore. That's how most people do it. And so why would they show up if nobody fucking cares? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And then that apathy is, is, is so, so real. And it's like, it is very self-defeating that we're sitting here like, well, I voted for them. And you're like, well, they didn't do anything for you. Like you voted, you put your name on the ballot and you know, they, they turned around and lied, you know, in Springfield, like on your behalf. Like, um, so I'm glad you called that out. Cause like everybody who's listening again, this is on all of us. And like, all of us have to hold ourselves accountable. Like if you can't make the time to make a call, send an email, make a tweet, like I need you to get involved in another way. Cause like, there's so many different ways to get involved. Um, it doesn't have to be out in front in Springfield. It doesn't have to be, you know, reading thousands of, of pages of legal text. Like there are so many other ways to plug in. Um, but what I really just want to stress to people is like, find your lane, whatever you're most comfortable with. You love graphic design. You love social media. You love showing up in person and, and making things awkward. Like, there's a lane for you in this space. And so I definitely just want to encourage everybody who's listening, like, please do not, you know, again, the apathy is, is going to kill all of us, um, you know, in this country, if, if we don't stand up and, and fight back for what is ultimately ours, you know, this is our tax money they're spending, um, you know, they're, they're criminalizing our communities because they can. Um, and so I, I'm really glad you called that out because this is, this is the time, like it's 2023, this country has <laughs> been built for, rich you know a handful of rich people for 400 plus years it's time we take this back for for the people yeah and so um very well said um well cool thank you for uh humoring me on that small conversation before we get into the the, the bigger picture topics so when when it came to cannabis legalization in 2019 so it sounds like you were like kind of privy to to some of maybe the talk around it do you recall um, discussion around, um, well, licensing, transparency and licensing, and home grow? So I know I just threw three questions at you, but can you take those on? Yeah. So, you know, just, you know, just before I jump in, there's like, you know, we were privy to some things, privy, you know, not privy to other right. things. And like, you know, and that, that's, you know, also how Springfield works, especially if there's a big group of community advocates divide and conquer, like, oh, I'm going to tell Peter about this. But I'm going to tell John about this. And this person's going to hear about this. And so there definitely wasn't like one stream of information that was coming um, at mm -hmm. that time. What I will say is like in terms of the topics you mentioned. So homegrow, I'm going to start with that because our coalition was like homegrow. Again, if it's legal, homegrow is legal. Like we talk about something that's legal, like being able to grow a plant in your house is like the definition of that liberty. Um, and, you know, we faced a ton of opposition. This was something, you know, um, I encourage folks to look back like 2019, 
when the, the hearings were happening in Springfield, there was specifically one hearing I remember vividly that happened. It didn't start till probably like 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. It was maybe the second to last week of that session. And I remember it was the it was a, a, a member, a few chiefs of police, sheriff's offices, a member of the NAACP on the opposition table. And then the pro table was um, I think it was the, the ACLU and a couple of other like community advocates. Um, but the whole thing was anti home grow. We need to create a surveillance program if people are going to do home grow. And like they were trying to track seeds. They were trying to make a surveillance program based on home grow. And, you know, we're sitting in, you know, by that time we were, you know, on the virtual room, you know, we weren't privy to that meeting, but we were sitting there like, you can't be serious. Like, you know, okay, if you're going to deny home grow, I get it. You're selfish. You have money and interests that, that are making you think that way. But like this whole like public safety side, and they were like, oh my God, we have to have a directory of all the people who have bought seeds. And like, they wanted everybody's names and addresses. And I'm like, why, why would that ever be acceptable? You know, we let people buy, you know, beer brewing kits at, at Target and go home and, and do whatever the hell they want. Um, but this, the the second that somebody thinks about growing a cannabis plant, like you're a drug trafficker and we need to you know lock you up. And so that conversation was genuinely like devastating to hear back then, because it's like this is not. This is not rocket science, people owning their house and growing in their house. Um, so that piece was really, really upsetting. Do you On remember, the licensing side? Really, really oh, quick. Ahead. Do you remember hearing because I've got a an article that backs up. I, I refer to it all the time. Uh, it's not like I, it's like one of my favorite articles that talks about this subject and they talked about law enforcement being opposed to home grow, but it also says licensed growers uh, uh, opposed home grow. Do you recall any like specific talk and from who that was from? Yeah, I can't, I can't say any specific, like in, if there's an individual or anything, I can confidently say CBAI, the, the Cannabis Industry Association of Illinois, the, the multi-state operators, this is, you know, this has been their playbook and recipe for a while. And so, you know, frankly, my expectation, it was always them kind of in alignment, like we shouldn't allow, you know, these home growers in. Um, but I, I, I can't speak to too many folks beyond kind of that existing group who was, you know, you know, they, they bullied their way through the entire conversation. So, right. Um, but I guess what I'm asking guess is, is they were like so it was like people in the police like i remember people like they there's even articles of law enforcement talking about like the slippery slope of home grow and yeah. to your point members of cbai have signed on in other states uh to something they call the fallacy of home grow where they opposed home grow and everything so so there's like some record, but I'm what I'm asking you is just because it's always been reported in the papers, but it's like, like you said, since these meetings happened, but then they just, they just, it's just like vanished in the air. Do you remember like, and I'm not asking you to name individuals or whatever, but I'm asking you like somebody else besides the law enforcement saying, no, we can't do home grow like it from the industry side. Yeah. I think the main thing would really just be like, the, the Illinois Sheriff's Association, Illinois Chiefs of Police and, and CBAI kind of coming together on that issue. Mm -hmm. um, That's what I've always heard um, that, that that was the case. So. Yeah. And the other thing is like, there just wasn't that many. Again, at this point, we're talking about like late May of 2019. At this point, there was only a handful of people they were even a, like really give a microphone to. And, sure. you know, <laughs> it was basically one of those three people. And you're like, are you a Chiefs of Police, Sheriff? Or are you with us with the CBAI? And it's like, oh, uh. yeah. And, <laughs> and if, if you... not, if no, then then good luck. And, you know, we, we have a, a good relationship with, with Representative Ammons down in Champaign. And, you know, she had her own legalization bill that ran in 2019. And, you know, she was, you know, wildly disrespected on the floor of the chambers. You know, they wouldn't even let her make a comment about the legalization law that would pass. 
Um, and her whole thing for four years since then is like, where's my homegirl at? Like, I've literally right. asked y'all for homegirl the whole time. You know, I appreciate her consistency because she's like, this is liberty and legalization. Like, this is what it is. Um, and so she, you know, she's been a great thought partner with us to like, how do we figure this out? How do we move this forward? Um, but ultimately, like, I respect her. When I tell you, I've heard that she will not vote on a cannabis bill unless it includes homegirl. Yeah. She knows what she wants. And and I, I really commend her and appreciate her because like most of these lawmakers do not know what they want. They they come when the check is is. Oh, this check is a little bit more than that check. I'll take I'll take the higher one. Um, they don't have a backbone. They don't have an ideology. They have a you know a, a, a LLC that they they send checks to, um, and so you know I really want to call out like just you know the love that we have for her, the support that everybody in the Illinois cannabis community should show for her because like without her, nobody was going to start this conversation the way we needed it to be. You know she she was the one who framed this in you know, like through equity and justice, um, yeah. and you know they she was co opted and and you know ultimately. Um, silence on the floor. Um, but yeah, those are the kind of people like we have to look at like, man, this one principled person and homegirl still can't move. And like, we have to get, ask ourselves what. And for folks that want to hear Carol Ammon's speech that she gave after she was denied the right to speak on the bill, uh, we will put a link in the podcast description. I have that entire speech. Um, and it's a great one. And she talks about the fact that she didn't fail. The CRTA would end the war on drugs. Uh, which is a point you've made um, a few times now through this show. Um, really quick before we get to licensing and um, God, what was the other thing that I, I said, homegrown licensing and something else. I'll try to think of it. Um, it makes sense why homegrown passed. The oh yeah. You asked about license transparency. Sorry. Ah, transparency. Thank you. Um it makes sense now why Homegrow did pass the way that it did. If law enforcement wanted a database, they got it. They have access to the medical cannabis database. I've asked the state. They are allowed to query it if they suspect somebody is growing, and that's from the state. Um, so so they got their database, and that makes sense why we got mm-hmm. what we got. And, and if you look in Missouri, um, they, they passed adult use they pass cultivation for all adults, but you have to sign up for a registry. So it's interesting to see the culture around um, home grow. And, you know, we got to know if you're growing it. It's just like, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so like, what I think yeah. that gets to is a bigger issue we'll talk about later, but I wanted to let you kick off on uh, licensing and transparency because those were definitely two big issues that went into the CRTA and they continue to be big talking points. So. Um, yeah. How do you want to, do you want to take on licensing first or transparency first? Like what was the talk in yeah, 19 that you recall? Yeah. So <clears throat> let's start with the licensing piece. So I think like the, the licensing was always like pretty straightforward. They were like, we want to have a very basic program where these people can grow, these people can sell, these people can transport, these people can infuse. Sounded pretty, you know, generic, straightforward, you know, not a lot of details like bill language was ever really shared with us at that time. One of the things that we did call out back at that time was with the craft grow license, which ultimately was passed as is with this whole idea of like the only new people who could grow weed outside of the medical patients would be these craft growers who could have 5,000 square feet. And, you know, what we found was just like an incredibly paternalistic, like, oh, well, you know, we want to make sure people can get their hands dirty and like really build out the skills they need to be successful. And, and you know, y- you like stop like they were talking you know they're talking about like empowering people and like oh we want to give people the you know support they need like 
No. If you want somebody to learn how to garden and how to steward, like homegirl was right here. Somebody who was trying to become a actual licensed cultivator who's trying to compete in this industry, like really trying to have like market share um, and really be a competitor. Like people don't need to learn how to get their hands dirty. They've been growing weed before. Like people know how this plant works. They've done it before. It's nothing new to them. And so, you know, the license piece, you know, there was, you know, and we had a lot of issues with, um, you know, I can talk about the dispensary, the way they rolled that out, the way they did. Um, but like one of the main gripes we had was like, you know, they just a very paternalistic, like growing system. And, and ultimately, like, you know, we got to look at this, this industry, you know, again, supply and demand, like if you don't have enough plants in the ground, um, this industry is going to fail. And so what we've seen now, you know, fast forward a few years, we still don't have these growers up and running. Eventually, these dispensaries will all open and there will not be weed for them to buy. Um, and so, yeah, just like on the licensing piece, we had a lot of issues with how they were framing all of this and like how they wanted, you know, again, this all to roll out. But the main thing that I, I should have started with is like order of operations. We let the existing multi-state operators, and at the time they weren't all MSOs, to do the, you know, flip the switch January 1st, they start selling weed out of their medical dispensary. At the same time, they got a brand new plus one dispensary that could open up anywhere in the state of Illinois. Um, many of them tried to move to the city of Chicago. Um, Chicago was very open to them moving in. Our, our, our coalition actually started a community benefits agreement campaign to make sure those companies were held to a higher standard. Um, but what I'm getting at here is like, really like, why would you ever come out with all your dispensaries before you have more plants in the ground? Um, and, and we created this real, this rush. And, you know, again, obviously, you know, legalization at any new state, January 1st, everyone goes, oh my God, we got to be in the line to wait at the dispensary and all this stuff. But it's like, there was very little foresight in thinking like, well, we're going to come out with all these dispensaries and then eventually we'll have growers on, like, they'll figure it out. Like, no, you should start with the people who are growing literally the infrastructure that this whole industry is going to be based on, whether it's, you know, again, like adult use smokers or not, like this is going to be used as biomass, can be used as infused products and everything in between. Um, and so, yeah, I think on the licensing piece, it just really was like very problematic to us, like the way they scheduled all these licenses to come out. Cause if COVID never hits, like you would have given out all of these retail licenses and then eventually gotten the manufacturing people open. And it's like, you know, there was never, like you could tell, like nobody was at the table, like, wait, does that make sense? Like, should we have more print products before we have more stores that open? Um, so yeah, I have a lot of feelings about like how they kind of rolled out the, the licenses, but specifically the dispensaries and the grows were like the two most like egregious to us at the time. And uh, transparency. And then I want to, I'll have a few questions for you on licensing, but I wanted to talk to you about your, how you felt the conversation around transparency went. Cause if I could set the stage, the main sponsors of the bill, Heather Staines and, or might get the names wrong. I'm mm -hmm. going to say representative Staines and rep Senator. I don't know. Staines and Cassidy. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it wrong. If I think it's representative Cassidy, Senator Staines. I think that's right. That's um, the one. Thank you messed that up a few times uh they said very openly at the beginning that that transparency in licensing would be an objective and kind of like the crta would not pass without some transparency in licensing just for some history folks if you're not aware of the history you can check out episode 232 of the podcast where we have citations and everything else not saying it's perfect history but it's my research and analysis right so take that for what you will. Uh, but for folks that don't know, there's always been a conversation about transparency around the licensing. And it's because frankly, lack of transparency can lead to issues. Let's just say you need to look no further than, you know, the casino industry and, and how 
licenses are issued with that and how, yeah, you look, need to look no further than that to see what happens with regard to like, um, if there's not transparency, sorry, I'm having trouble saying what I'm trying to say here. And so that ultimately didn't happen. Like you can't, I I don't know. You can't get a straight answer from the state who owns what license or who is behind any license. So I'm just curious, like what you witnessed with regard to conversations around that, if you witnessed anything. Yeah, it, this was this was one of those challenges that like we were like, you know, the, the principles, everyone was like, yeah, transparency, accountability, we should get to the bottom of who owns these licenses. Um, but then when it became very clear that like the multi-state operators, you know, unless you're a publicly traded company, we can't really see who owns you. Um, and so that led very quickly to like, wait, 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 skirt that, move that out of the way. Um, we're not going to have full transparent, you know, you're not going to be able to look up the principal officers on Google. Like, um, and so, yeah, we, we were defeated pretty quickly on that item. And it really, you know, if I remember correctly, it really came down to like the existing operators are like, well, they shouldn't be able to see who we are. So they shouldn't be able to say who you are. And, you know, I don't care if somebody is a multi-state operator, social equity, you've been impacted, like, we should know who's behind the company. And it's not just cannabis, like every single, you know, I might be different, but like, I would love to know who's actually running these businesses and like actually behind these stores. Again, whether it's cannabis or not, because like people want, you know, more than ever, people want to spend money at a place they think is doing good for the world and the community. And like, that should be easier. <laughs> so um, yeah, we were definitely let, left, let down by, by the lawmakers at that time. It was really all, it felt like all about protecting, you know, the existing operators and not about like anything to do with the new people who were coming online. Obviously, you know, the way the licenses were structured and, you know, you know, you have people filing LLCs that, you know, you are, that are very difficult to actually like get to who actually filed and owns the LLC. You know, I have a lot of feelings about like how right. license ownership works in Illinois, like the secretary of state office where, you know, we finally have a new secretary of state. I would love for that website to be updated so that like we can actually get to the bottom of this. Cause there's so many shell companies, again, not just cannabis that exist. And like, we should be able to just know who it is that I'm spending my money with. Like, is this person, actually do they even live in illinois like <laughs> come on man give me some right. help so uh, yeah the transparency piece was was definitely a big letdown um it's not something that was ever like communicated directly like this is how it's going to work um like there wasn't a lot of public notice about it it was just like very clearly like oh wait a second this is how because and, and what i the context i left out was the medical operators when the legalization debate was happening because they were medical operators they didn't have to disclose who owned them and so they were able to skirt that knowing they plan to legalize and get first dibs and be the first movers and flip the switch before everybody else. They were, you know, just to say, well, we're medical dispensary. We're different. And it's like, no, you're not. You're going to sell at the medical patients the second January 1st hits, which has happened. Yeah. You meant adult use, but yeah. Yeah. Sell to adult use. Yeah. Uh, I, get, I knew what you meant. Um, well, cool. Thank you for, for getting into that. That's a super important topic for people to know about. And frankly, transparency is key. I've heard it from our own regulators and regulators from other states that they rely on the public to report things. And it's like, okay, help me help you. Let's make this information transparent. And, uh, you know, then we can meet each other in the middle there. Um, but anyways, uh, I know I'm preaching to the choir on that one. So, Let's talk about licensing because I felt like there's a thing and I I only know you have opinions about it because I saw, damn, I put that Instagram post down. I saw you made a 
comment about limited licensing, but I do think it would be important. I did see a question on here. I know I'm bouncing around, but I told you I'd go buck wild at the end here. So bear with me. Um, I saw a comment on your post and I think it's a really valid comment. And if people didn't see it earlier, well, um, I wanted to make sure that we acknowledged it. You know, so there's these list list of participants and they, this commenter says, for the sake of transparency, don't most of these entities work with or for MSOs? And it that's always that's a, been an interesting and it, that might segue us into limited licensing because. Peter, like I'm not I don't think you'll be able to answer this question either. I don't think we'll solve this one in the podcast, but like I'm trying to figure out what's going on here because it seems like in these press conferences we'll call out the big cannabis companies and we'll even say on this podcast and i've did it with scott we'll call out cbai specifically meanwhile many of them are members like even scott himself is a member of cbai and i know you got to get along to get along right i'm not throwing shade at scott he's a really cool guy and i'd love to have him again we're going to have him again on the show in the future but i guess what i'm asking is if you like it seems like you agree, agree on a, and I'm not saying you, but it seems like the the group agrees on a troubling number of policy points with the big companies that they're also complaining about. And the one that I would start with, and the one I'm mainly referencing is limited licensing. It seems like nobody, I mean, I know you, it seems like you do have opinions on it, which is awesome. I, I saw like a snippet of what your opinions are are, and they seem to be in line with mine, but like, it seems like we've cut off our nose to spite our face by supporting the limitations on licensing. And I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So definitely, you know, I think a couple of things, one, definitely glad that, that we could harp on this because I actually didn't even see this comment. So I'm going to sink my teeth into this when we wrap up um, in a lot more depth. Um, but I think the, the main thing would be like, you know, so from the limited licensing standpoint, like, just, you know, getting back to like, you know, context in Springfield, like when we even suggest the idea of moving away from the existing licensing structure, we are laughed out of the room. <laughs> sure, sure. So being very clear with people about like the way the structure, this is the whole thing is structured. So like, for right. example, we have the, the craft growers getting up to 14,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. Weeks ago, months ago, that was agreed to. Everyone's like, yeah, when these dispensaries are online, we're going to have to get them product. And that's where it's going to come from. Great idea. Everyone's like two thumbs up. Great. CBAI, you know, back in February, kind of muddied the water saying like, oh, well, we need this disparity and availability study. Right. Which, you know, by law was required to come out, you know, a year after all the licenses came out. Obviously, the lawsuits, lawsuits happened. And so the clock actually never started on those studies until last year. And so, for example, like one of the things we run into is specifically on the craft grow side, like we want as many people to grow as possible. We want this to be, you know, something that if you have the skills, like come in and show that you can compete. Um Obviously, we're wary of what happened in Oregon. We're wary of what's going on in Oklahoma. Like, we, there's a right, you know, I, I want to, like, we don't want to blow it wide open entirely just yet. But, like, one thing that I would be clear about is, like, it's not even really up to us because, you know, again, they agreed to the 14,000. And now, all of a sudden, it's the disparity and availability study. Right, right. And so, like, for something like that, it's not really, like, up to us. If it was, this whole thing would have been different. Um, so, I definitely want to start with that because that one is, like, very specifically, like, on the table and, like, actively being debated. Um, what I would really kind of speak to is, is so I think specifically like on the limited licensing piece, um, I'm going to avoid disp- uh, infusers and transport because that's like very nuanced and there's a lot that we can get lost in. 
but like, so again, we talked about craft. So I think let's talk about dispensaries. And so for the dispensaries, one of the pieces of the CRTA was it creates this like arbitrary number of 500 dispensaries that the state could like come out with at any point. Um, that number is not based on like data. It's not based on population. It's not based on how many adults are in Illinois. It's not based on tourism, you know, increases and stuff like that. And so we run into this thing on the dispensary side where it's like, who even set this, like this completely arbitrary, totally, totally like not set in any kind of data or anything like that. And so the other piece I would add to like, we, you know, being for, um, you know, a more expansive licensing, um, like they all, the lawmakers, when I tell you very clearly, like they think that's like a golden number. Um, and I, and I want to make sure I might've misrepresented the 500 number, but I'm pretty confident it's like hovers around 500 that the state could like totally come out with, um, and, you know, we, we have like about 280, 295 of those have been allocated so far. Um, you know, only the first 110, you know, the, the, the medical dispensaries and the plus ones are all open. I think we have six social equity dispensaries open. So we still have a long way to go for all the people who won licenses last summer um, to even get open. And so um, I think the, the main thing I would say to this is like, yeah, it's, it's definitely one, it's not up to us. Like if, if it was, you know, we would have passed all this stuff years ago. But sure. two, like they're coming back to like these arbitrary numbers. And obviously the disparity and availability study, it's the law. I don't want to call it yeah. arbitrary because you know, we'll get No, sued. but I get what but you like, mean. Like what? why are they yeah. calling it out? Like a, a lawmaker or a regulator should be calling it out. What, are the, what, is, what business do they have, right? I mean, seriously. Yeah. And, and I mean, if, and if I could tell the, you what business if, they have, but anyways, sorry. Yeah, that part. But yeah, like that, that piece is really important. And just calling that out, like, again, because this was agreed upon. We talk about canopy space going back six months. Everyone's like, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. See, All I want to say dispensaries need products. Go ahead. I want to say I get it. Like, I get that perspective. Like Scott kind of said the same thing. I asked him, why are you only pushing for 14,000? I've talked to people in the Department of Agriculture, like a lot, a few, you know, there's a, there's a more than one person at the department of agriculture that is like why aren't they pushing for more they've asked me that and i'm like i don't know but he made it clear to me and it's kind of to your point that you just made Fourteen thousand is already written into the law we're not coming up with anything new we're, we're simply adding clarification that would allow us to and would enable us for success right totally yeah. get that and i and i want to like please keep bringing that up because it is an important fact but i just like you did just kind of demonstrate for me what I was just talking about. You said like, you, you like started saying you're like, I, what I felt like you did that I, what I started with, you said, I don't, we need to learn from Oklahoma and Arkansas or uh, uh, Oregon, Oregon. Thank you. Arkansas is just legalized medical. So it's not that one. Um, and that was, I felt like an underhanded way of saying that you do support you said, I don't want to go buck wild. And I'm not saying that Peter's views on this are everybody's views, but I'm saying that you're not alone in thinking that. And I'm just, I feel like that is the crux of this issue. Because if you think about it, like when, I don't even know, do you have, do you have a craft license or are you like involved? No? I've never applied for any licenses and I don't intend to. Shit. I would have thought maybe you were, cause you were talking about some of these things. So even better, but like, um, my thing is like, let's say that you work with somebody that has applied for a license and they're like really frustrated right now and we give them what mm -hmm. they need, right? Let's say that everything that you've asked for at the beginning of this podcast happens because the people saw the light. My thing is 
there is a whole, and you even kind of said this today in the press conference, the cycle that continues, there's a whole new group of people. And so they're just going to be in the same place that actually even kind of in a tougher place, you know, um, to get, to get action on that. And that's kind of where I'm coming from with the license limitations. Like, I just feel like, again, we've cut off our nose to spider face. If, if the goal was to legalize it, um, mm-hmm. it, it feels like that. So really quick, I wanted to share this point as well. Since you brought up Oregon, I actually interviewed this guy, but this is just a small snippet that I think is interesting given like what we just talked about. Right. <laughs> do you look back at it and think maybe we should have put some caps on production or on the licenses you know my job's not to second guess that i'm just the administrator but if you're asking me uh, i don't think so everyone just wanted to be the first in to have their stake in it and they were willing to take the risk to be a part of that market so i don't think that's necessarily bad and in a control market they'd be left out they'd never get that chance That's mm. that's where I'm coming from. And it's like, I get what you're saying. And I know that what we've seen in these other states, they've happened. You're not wrong. But here's my question. Are we setting ourselves up for competition by limiting competition? I feel like the mm. way to do it is to, to, to expose yourself to competition, dude. It's cutthroat. And when this shit's legalized, you got to be ready. Because we're doing it at a state level right now. Mm. Sure, we're kind of padded. But I don't know. That's kind of my perspective on it. It's like, I I wonder, you know, are we setting ourselves up kind of for failure by padding the ecosystem? Because you look at other industries, it seems like cannabis is pretty unique in that it welcomes these limitations. I said this to Scott, you know, that we just accept the fact that 80% of restaurants go out of business in the first five years. I mean, the mm. tech industry, it's widely known and accepted that the tech industry, Silicon Valley, Valley, people go there and their dreams die. It's widely yeah. accepted. Some people make it through, you know, um, fitness industry. You can start a gym or a yoga studio. Good luck standing out, especially with Planet Fitness and all that shit taking over. It, it just feels like. Um, OK, let me put it this way. I think it is fair to say. I'll give I'll give ourselves some credit here. I think it's fair to say that this process may have yielded a higher proportion of minority participation, right? Because if you look at the numbers, the state shows that technically now, if you look at the license holders, even even though they may be provisional, there are more people of color that have licenses than white people now. Yeah. Right. So I think that's fair to say that we kind of accomplished a goal there. I got to give credit where credit is due. Here's the but, though. I just don't think it's really impressive when you consider we've only handed out less than 300 licenses, and many of which, like I said, remain provisional. So it's like, yeah, I'm all for guaranteeing their success. We're working within the confines of what we have. It just seems like we're short-sighted. We're just focused on what we can do to get the bag instead of like focused on actually addressing the issue. Um. Sorry. Yeah, I no, I, I definitely I, I, I'm really happy that we're having this conversation because like we this is, you know, people don't press this specific conversation in like in depth like this. And so this is definitely very much needed. And so I definitely yeah, like there's there's pros and cons to all this. I definitely kind of alluded earlier, like as a consumer, as an advocate, like individual who loves cannabis, 
I'm all for open markets. Sure. Um, as an advocate who has to like manage a lot of different um, people, organizations, authority, and people like that, um, you know, we have to bring everybody to the table and make sure every voice is every voice is heard. And so, I think what I would say to to the piece you brought up, specifically the video from Oregon, like I think um, our piece is, you know, our goal is everybody who can who has, who wants to compete should have the opportunity to compete. But the one thing I think where Illinois is a little bit more unique is that Illinois made a specific promise to these entrepreneurs, those people who have been impacted directly, that we're going to make sure this works for you. And so um, not this is not a defensive limited license. It's more so of a defense of like all of the structural support people need. So the funding that was supposed to come from the state that a penny, like single, like money has not come from them. That still has to be addressed. All the technical assistance that was supposed to be provided that wasn't provided. Like people have been languishing for years, like without any support. And so I think my main thing on this piece would be like, we just want everybody to get a, a fair shake. And, and when we say fair shake, we're not talking about like the the kind of more ruthless capitalist side. Like we're talking about like, hey, this is capitalism. People are going to have to think or swim. But also like the state made promises they've never promised anyone else ever. Um, and, and we have to come good because like they literally haven't done any of that. And so like I, I think, you know, we're between a rock and a hard place here because like there's no right answer. You can hear me kind of jumping on both sides of the fence. There's there's positives to take away. And so I think from my perspective, again, as a consumer, I'm with it. Like, let's get more grows out. But like, we just have to be very intentional at that, making sure that we're giving these folks the support. Because what, you know, and, you know, really one of my concerns is that if we did, you know, come out with a bunch more licenses um, and we're not giving people the support they need, you know, what we what we've already you know, beginning to kind of predict is that the multi-state operators from other states are going to buy those folks out in pennies of the dollar in, you know, in, in a year or two, we're going to have, you know, an even an, uh, industry that's even uglier. And, and so, um, you know, we don't want to chase ghosts and stuff like that and, and do things that aren't, you know, pressing um, concerns right now, but like that is something that we have to be be mindful of. And so, um, yeah, there's no real short answer to it, but like, you know, we, we can, you know, we know also like this Illinois is one of the biggest States in the country. Yeah. If we really leverage tourism the way we could be, like the cannabis and tourism specifically, actually, I need to say specifically, like we can, you know, we can go crazy if we want to with this industry. But um, the way this is set up is it's not set up for these folks to be successful. And I think the the really the main point that I want to get at that goes beyond licenses, like how many the quantities and stuff like that is the taxes. It doesn't matter if we have 10 grows tomorrow or a thousand grows tomorrow, like people, consumers can't afford to spend money on this plant in these in these you know, regulated shops. And so is there like enough revenue for these companies to even be made? Like I have serious questions because, you know, again, this is one of those short-sighted things where it's like, yeah, 35% sounds good to you. Good. Yeah. yeah cool. Great. Four orange whips. And like, that's right. not how math should work. It's how tax, you know, should, should be, should be set up. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that's a long way to response, but yeah, I think tying in the tax is really key to this as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thank you for bringing that up. Cause that's another point. Like, I mean, Scott made it clear these craft products are going to cost more. They're not going to cost less. I mean, maybe we'll see the price floor drop from the bigger operators to fuck with the new smaller operators. I wouldn't be surprised at all because they've shown they can offer lower prices in other states. This is an example I gave the other day. Somebody gave me this cartridge. It's on sale. I'm not, I don't have to say it, but you can see whose cartridge that is. It's on sale in Illinois. And, um, would cost i think a hundred and twenty dollars and that's before taxes that would be like if you're a medical patient you'd walk out paying a hundred and twenty dollars in michigan the reason they just handed this to me with like no this like cost 30 bucks this is a company that is operating in illinois and they can obviously afford to offer this product for this price 
but they're not because they don't have to, because they view limited license states as investments. And frankly, I get what you, I mean, so you just said it finally. And uh, I want to be mindful of our time. I know that, you know, you just got home and stuff. So we'll, we'll wrap pretty, pretty soon here, but um, you just put it perfectly and I'll return to the video shortly, but um, it really centers around the, the industry interests. Um, right. So the split here, like you say, you kind of were talking on both sides, like as a consumer, everybody loves better prices or, you know, lower prices as a business person that's trying to make money off of it. I don't like lower prices. So to your point, um, and to that point, I just wanted to show this quick moment here. Here. Of course, there's one group of people who would never complain about weed market competition. People who like cheap weed. I just bought a pre-rolled pack of joints for uh, 16 bucks, and that is like something I would have never dreamed of. It's great. I don't think about the expense anymore, which is super awesome, you know? Right. So I don't have to keep going. But like, uh, th that's kind of what you just put in a nutshell uh, is like, that is the paradigm. I feel like that's the two sides of this issue. Like consumers love it, but it makes it really hard if you want to be in the business. I mean, and I'm not like faulting anybody for that. I, I get it. It's just like, I, if I could put it bluntly and then we can move on to my last topic that I wanted to discuss with you that I think you're going to love. And I'd love, I don't know. I'd love to hear. I don't feel like enough people talk about this. So, but, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the whole licensing thing, it seems like that's, that's the issue there, you know? So, yeah. And it, yeah. And I think, you know, I just yeah really want to like think into that because it's, it's just being really clear. Like, again, the, the nuance and the layers to this are, are, are very, really complex. The coalition, I think this is where also like we're in a very unique perspective. None of us, none of our leadership team are applicants or, or on any ownership teams. None of us have any vested mm -hmm. interest in this other than getting people to work, getting people into ownership and like as consumers, maybe we can benefit from that. But like, yeah. this is not like this. We We are one of the few voices that's like, we're literally not in this for any kind of money. Um, and so I think that's where like our goal is, you know, keep bringing people together because like if all the people aren't together specifically and I'm talking about the business owners like this, like they're not going to listen to anybody down in Springfield. And so it's a real challenge. And this is, you know, also one of the reasons that like I'm so passionate about social consumption. It's mm -hmm. like the one way to cut through all of this shit is by opening the consumption lounge where somebody can bring whatever cannabis products they want in a safe, ventilated, secure area. Um, and we can all enjoy ourselves and, and, and benefit from the plant. Um, so just shameless plug for consumption. Cause I'm like, we can just ignore all that and just skip to that, you know? Absolutely. If it Absolutely. So <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, thank you for mentioning that about CEIC. And I just wanted to say, uh, Peter, I thank you again for your time today. Uh, still got another topic, but the reason I knew we wouldn't, it's not like I expected to solve these issues today, but I knew I could get deep with them because frankly, I've not heard good things about you. I've heard great things about you. So I knew that I was, like, I was so worried. I was like, Oh my God, do I have to throw the zoom out? What about <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. I've heard, sorry. I knew I wanted to save that line cause I didn't want to scare you, but I've heard really good things about you. And uh, I knew that we could get into these topics and that we would have productive conversations. So thank you again for your time today. For sure. Thank you again. Appreciate you. You having the, you know, even sharing the platform with us, but also just talking about this consistently is, is very much needed. And, um, we can just keep, just keep doing, keep, keep up the good work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the last topic I wanted to talk about today, and I, I just want to see it become a point of conversation because 
it, it like I was so happy to hear you because I was like, oh shit, somebody's on it. I've heard you say it a few different times, but when you talk about it's legal, but it's not really legal, like it's something I've been talking about since I started the show, and uh, it's always stuck with me. Like, is it legal or is it not legal? Right. And so, um, one of the things that I finally figured out in our deep dive on history is like what exactly the CRTA did and more importantly, what it didn't do. Mm -hmm. And, um, are you familiar with the cannabis control act of 1978? Just to some extent, not as much as the CRTA, but sure. So the, the, in a, in a nutshell, it provides a wide latitude in the sentencing discretion of courts and establishes penalties and a sharply rising progression. That's a long way of saying that the more weed you get caught with, the more trouble you're in. Right. Yeah. And frankly, all the CRTA touched, as you know, because you're familiar with the CRTA is the 30 grams or less, the five grams of uh, and so we still have this idea of a possession limit. Um, mm -hmm. And it, frankly, it's still scheduled. I, that's one of the things I love about the Cure Act is that it's going to D, if passed into law, it would deschedule psilocybin, which would effectively treat it like tomatoes, which is how cannabis should be treated. And that's, I want to be clear, that's another thing that we're dealing with, not only the politics, but like um, earlier this week, actually, I saw Maine, they've got a really progressive bill. And they, it, it says treat cannabis like tomatoes act. And it basically repeals mm. all the grow limitations, all of the license limitations and, and just, Hey, it's like tomatoes. You can grow it. You can sell it if you know, all that stuff. And so, um, but I listened into the session and one of the concerns the lawmaker had is that they couldn't do that because it would still be on the state's scheduled list of drugs. And so what they needed to start by doing in order to make that an actual reality is deschedule it. So it was a weird case where he was like, look, I support what you're trying to do here, but you're doing it wrong. It was yeah. so weird. It was so weird to say or to see. And I guess that's how I wanted to, um, I mean, you get what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make with this is that we didn't fully legalize it. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'd love to see that added to, I know that you're working with bills that are crafted right now. So that's what you're referencing. And that's why you're pointing to that. Edie Moore made that point today. Like, look, it's not like we're just, this is a random wish list. Like we're pointing to language that's been drafted that the legislators, you know, we know it's got the support for, and that's why we're talking about this today. So I wanted to say that to yeah. your, to like, to give you some space. It's not like I'm like coming at you like, why the fuck aren't you talking about this? Right. <laughs> I understand why you're not talking about it. And I understand that you, actually agree with me on it but um i wanted to bring it up just in case our listeners didn't know and in case you didn't know but it sounded like you had a vague awareness of the act already so um yeah and i definitely just appreciate you calling that out because like that's one of these things again weed's legal but it's not legal like i'd say that anytime i can't publicly we had you know that the reason i was late for this conversation was we had you know a, a know your rights and a political education teaching and that's how we start is hey everybody you know we quiz can you go outside and smoke a blunt on the on the street right now behind me like, and let's quiz people and ask what they right. really think. And the answer is a big fat no. And like mm -hmm. making sure people understand, like, just because it's it's not legal. And like, um, yeah, this is definitely, you know, one of the things that, that you know, we're really passionate about trying to advance in the future. And like, again, this has to be clarified. Um, you know, I have a bunch of family in New York City, New York State, you can have up to three ounces. I'm like, man, <laughs> you know, if you're, you're going to have a possession limit, that that's all right. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I ultimately, I agree, like moving this towards the tomato model of like, yo, if I have a, a patch in my backyard, 
like let's make this happen um and again normalize it you know we can there are safe ways to to embrace this um you know the only way we're going to make this less safe is through prohibition and so by embracing this and having open honest dialogue about like what does home grow look like what does you know community community growth look like how do people actually start to grow like um it's really important so yeah this possession limit piece this is at the root of everything like and I'm curious that that one bill that you mentioned, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it earlier. Uh, you definitely mentioned it earlier in the show, but I know you also mentioned it at the press conference um, that would uh, prevent people from getting in the industry, the badging thing. If you have a cannabis offense, mm-hmm. does that like the, sorry for the pop quiz question on that proposal, but does that proposal, would it like, I guess, because because this the Cannabis Control Act of 1978 is still largely in effect. And if you were caught with more than 30 grams, would you still get a mandatory disqualification if that happened? Or would this bill make it so that cannabis related crimes are not a disqualification? So so this is where I'm going to add more co- complexity to it. There's actually sure. two different bills. One is Senate Bill 194 from Senator Peters, which mm-hmm. is specifically for folks who want to own a license. And that specifically calls out nonviolent offenses. I have a lot of feelings about that. Um, you know, we know that, you know, a violent offense is, is you getting stopped with weed and you had a knife on you, you had a gun on you. Um, you could have a void, void, you could have a valid void card, but because you had weed, now it's unlawful use of a firearm. That's a violent offense. On paper, it sounds like, you know, you shot up a school, but in reality, you literally had a gun and you had weed. And so, um, Yeah, I think the main thing would be my understanding is that it wouldn't be an automatic disqualification unless you had something with you. Um, If you had a second substance, you had cocaine on you, you had, you know, let's say you had a gun on you, that would end up being what turns you away from the industry, unfortunately. Um, But like our goal, you know, just from the coalition's perspective, our principles are like, everybody needs to be made whole who was harmed by the war on drugs. Again, the people who, who built this legacy industry. They had guns. They had knives on them. The same way that security drivers have guns and knives on them when they're transporting, you know, legal cannabis in Illinois. Um, and so this piece is is definitely, yeah, I have a lot of feelings about it. But the main thing is, if we can get at, at the, if we at the very least we can secure, you know, the the ownership and the workers being able to like having a very clear badging process, a very clear appeals process if they are denied. Um, and ideally, you know, to your point earlier, like yes, we are working on things that are already drafted, but like. If we can work over the summertime and like really figure out like what does it look like for like full decrim? Um, because I'm also what I'm also very passionate about is like making sure young people who we see are like bearing bearing the brunt of most of the enforcement. Like, what are we doing for people under than 21 if you're getting their if stop for cannabis? Because like if we're you know sending these kids to jail or, or putting them into any kind of like school to prison pipeline, we have serious issues with that. Because again, if we're gonna legalize it, that means the next generation should not be harmed in any way, shape or form, they need to be, you know, fully at the decision-making table, uh, whether they want to work in the industry, they want to own the industry, they want to get invested in hemp. Like this is, you know, this is the next generation. Like they need to be at the table. So uh, I know it's a long-winded response to you brought up possession limits, but yeah, I just, um, yeah, it's, it's, they, they didn't even really try on the decrypt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will throw this in the podcast description as well. I wanted to give some more context for people just so that like, you know, cause I can't, I love the ideas and, uh, you know, we've agreed on a lot of these ideas, but I can't take credit for all of them. And I'd love to give credit to where credit is due. So um, I've been trying to be better about this. So um, a lot of my ideas about, um, you know, limitations on licenses and stuff come from this paper from Shaleen Title, a University of Illinois alum. It's called Bigger is Not Better, Preventing Monopolies in the National Cannabis Market. I'll put a link to this in the podcast description. 
But if, if you'd like to see like where I'm coming from, folks that are listening, these proposals that she have, which includes the idea of not capping the number of business licenses available in total, but limit how much of a market one person or entity may control, right? To prevent a monopoly or an oligopoly. Uh, so I wanted to give background and credit where credit is due so folks can do their own research, you know, on where I was, where we are coming from, because I know we were agreeing on some of these things uh, on, on these policy points. So. For sure. And yeah, just encourage everybody listening. Like Celine is, is a thought partner you need to listen to and read from. Like she's been through the ringer in Massachusetts. She's obviously a native of Illinois. Um, so she's been able to see, you know, she's a very unique perspective on how this all works and, you know, definitely encourage folks to, to check out her work. The Parabola Center is doing some, some great independent research that we desperately need. You know, if we had someone like that in Illinois, this, this whole thing would look a lot nicer, look a lot cleaner. Um, at the very least, there'd be an adult in the room to be like, these people are corrupt and these are who you need to hold accountable. Because when we make that point, um, you know, it falls on deaf ears because there's just, you know, we're not the authority, unfortunately, because we don't have those credentials. So definitely encourage folks to check out everything Shalene's working on and support her work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll close on this uh, topic. I've got one more like credit to where credit is due. Um, but I wanted to ask you, and I'd be happy to queue up uh, Bernie Sanders answer to this as well. Cause if you asked me this dude, I'd be like, come on, dude, this is a, uh, this is a tough question, you know, and maybe, maybe for you, you're going to be like, this is a fucking home run because it's in our name or whatever. But what is the difference between equality and equity? And again, if you want to bunt to Bernie Sanders, I can cue that up to see what <laughs> he said. Because um, I, when I saw him ask it, I was like, damn, that's, you know, I don't know. Uh, so what's your take on that one? Yeah, the, the main the main difference is like equality is like, you know, kind of this principle that we should all be equal and have equal opportunities. Equity is like, what are we willing to do and what are we willing to sacrifice to actually ensure that? Um and so, yeah, I know, I know that the great senator has, he's put it a lot more eloquently than me, but like, it's really about like, how much are we willing to do the work? How much are we willing to get to the bottom of it? Cause like equality sounds great on paper and, you know, it's all over, you know, the American flag and constitution, you know, equality, but it's like, this country is not equal. It was never meant to be equal. Um, and it would never be equal until we start to actually hold people accountable, hold ourselves accountable um, and work collectively to actually ensure, you know, real community equity becomes, uh, can be delivered. Um, and in the context of cannabis, that means, you know, holding the state to all the promises they made around decarcerating people, prioritizing those who are actually, you know, frankly, traffickers, like people who are literally doing what these businesses are doing today. Um, it means having those folks at the table so that we can right size this industry and, and make sure that, um, you know, the training wheels that we can build are actually effective and, and the parameters that, you know, people have to stay within are are actually, you know, rooted in science and safety. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I will just briefly for folks that want to see it, I'll play the Bernie Sanders clip here. With all the emphasis on DEI, are we confusing equality of opportunity with trying to guarantee equity and outcomes? Okay, that's interesting because I think this word equity has come into the language in the last few years. And before that, we didn't hear it a lot. And I think a lot of people hear equity and they hear equality, that like, it's the same word. And it's not the same word in the same concept. So how would you differentiate between equity and equality? Well, equality, we talk about, uh, I don't know what the answer to that is. <laughs> Come to think of it, you know, 
uh, equality is equality of opportunity. All right? We live in a society we want all people right. to have whatever color your skin is. Equity, I think, is more a guarantee of outcome, is it not? I yeah, think... I think so. I think that's okay. Right. So which, do you come, which side do you come down on? Uh, equality. Equality. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So that's his perspective. And I would have said the same thing. I don't know. That's what would have been my first answer. Um, but I didn't know. I don't know. I'm not refined enough to know. And I'm just, you know, getting young, trying to learn these things, a quality of outcome and what this means. I think it goes back to like these ideas of affirmative action. Are, are, right? Am I right in thinking of that? Sorry, again, I'm out of my understanding. So correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that, that's really that like, likely? yeah, the equity of outcomes is like a really good way to frame it. Like, you know, we can... Yeah give people the opportunity to get the, you know, put their best foot forward. But we also can't guarantee that, you know, the ground in front of them is, is, is level and, 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 and permanent. Um, and so it's, it's trying to, yeah, right size those, those outcomes. To me, it's trying to right size those outcomes, you know, trying to build a structure so that people can actually, you know, live and, and sustain. Yeah. I was trying as to well look as up possible. And make, make sure that I didn't say the completely wrong term. I was like, Oh gosh, did I say like something that's totally wrong? Um, Looks like I was a little bit on target, but um, yeah. Uh, and then the last credit where credit is due, um, breaking points. Uh, actually, Shaleen was on this interview, which I'm only going to show like 15 seconds of because um, that's all I have of it. And uh, we're about to wrap up. Um, but I think this is important too. And this is kind of where my perspective is coming from on limited licenses. So. Gonna restart that, I apologize. Thought I started it and I didn't. The answer to how to keep profits and prevent competition in the market is limited licenses. Limited licenses and limited license markets. Why go play in a knife fight when it's easier to go sit at the beach? In other words, they'll use the law to give themselves monopoly. You, Jamie, the talk. And so this is where I'm gonna, I just, I wanted to kind of dwell on that again just to say for anybody that's still listening right now that I really think that if you're concerned about your future image and you're in the cannabis industry, like get far away from the idea of supporting limited licenses. I don't know. I just feel like it's not going to look good in the future to have proudly worn it on your shoulder. And I'm not saying you did it. I'm literally speaking out to people right now because I know plenty of people that are just like, they'll say things like we don't want to dilute the pool and, um, you know, I get it, but it's like, it seems like it's not going to end well, uh, especially with some of these policy proposals that Shaleen has brought to light. So um, thank you, Peter, for allowing me to kind of get on my soapbox on that topic today. <laughs> no, I definitely appreciate it. This again, this is like the most, the most, you know, we've had, I've had a chance to talk about this in, in a few weeks. And so like, again, I appreciate being you know, talking about this and challenged on this. Cause like, this is something that, you know, we need to be honest about. And like, this is where I would make a call out to everybody else, like listening, like this yeah. summertime, this is our chance to be like, Hey y'all, this whole idea of limited licensing, like they need to understand how backwards it is. They need to understand, you know, the whole piece you brought up about the restaurants and gyms. And like, we let people fail all the time. And I know I mentioned earlier, like we're trying to create some safeguards so people, you know, can actually get the best chance to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, I do you know, want to say I'm really kinda... quick that I think we should we should keep some of those equity goals intact, like the idea that and I asked Pam Altoff about this. She actually taught me and maybe you can correct the record if she led me astray. But like <laughs> she told me because I said, maybe instead of limiting the licenses, we open it up 
but we make it so that non-social equity holders pay into like a social equity fund that social equity licensees could use to capitalize. Because the whole thing is like, it's not that, here's the thing. If we're saying these people were affected by the war on drugs, what you typically gather is that they don't have investors, that they don't have funding and everything else. And so that's what you need to get them. And that's what's funny is that we're like running up against that right now. Then these are people that are actually like, I don't know. I'm not saying they're, they are by the color of the law, social equity. But I, I also want to recognize that they are better, like they're in a good spot, many of them, um, yeah. that they could be in a better spot is, is the the point. And so like, that's where it's like, I feel like, what can we do to actually get money in those people's hands, you know? Yeah. And that, that's definitely like, this is where, especially over the summertime, like we need as many thought partners on this as possible. Cause it's like, what creative yes. ways, legal ways can we do to do that? Cause you know, not getting sued is important. Um, yeah. But like, you know, I definitely with you on all that. And, and yeah, this is like, again, this is the time the summer is when, when things have to get done. Lawmakers don't consider something like, unless it's been drafted and really put into their face, like with some, with some like lead time. So like really encouraging folks now is the time to get involved, get invested with us. Um, you know, this, and I definitely hear you. And, and sorry, the last thing I should say is like the idea of like social equity, like we all know, like this is, it started with like maybe some good intentions about as, as like a budge word as like a catch all for people. But ultimately we need to be truthful. And like, we are talking about people who've been impacted by the war on drugs, targeted and impacted by the war on drugs. And legally, you know, we know what the disparity is. I brought up the disparity and availability study earlier in the call. We know the disparity. We know how many black and brown businesses are open compared to the white owned businesses. We know how many, how much percentage of the industry the white owned businesses own in Illinois. Because it's important not to just talk about, yes, we have a lot of licenses owned by black and brown people, but the percentage specifically, and I want to talk about on the grow side, like on the yeah. grow side, the vast majority of the grow is still owned by these, these small handful of companies. And so the other conversation we need to have, and again, this is another thing for us to do over the summer. How do we redefine impact by the war on drugs? Yes, the disparity study will come out. We all know what it's going to say because we know what the disparity study is or the disparities are. But like, how are we going to refine that legally so that we can ultimately, you know, make sure this program is, is getting licensed to the people who have been impacted. Um, but ultimately, like we need to like labeling and, and, and just language is so important. And we talk about social equity as this catch all. And it's like there are some folks who who've got some real money and some real connections who are, in, you know, at the table. And it's like you're not the same as this person. Um, you know, we can't kick them out from the table because, you know, that's it's that would not be appropriate. Um, but like we had to have a real conversation about like how far how much progress have we really made if, if we're still trying to define, well, have they been impacted? Have they not been impacted? Um, like there's a lot of a lot of layers and complexity to this. And so, yeah, I would just call it out again. It's a very structural flaw. Like we couldn't even say impacted by the drug war. We literally had to say social equity because that was safer. Um, and so, yeah. And now it seems like kind of a toxic kind of, you know what I mean? Like you bring it up to certain people and maybe it doesn't have a, and I'm more conservative people, to be honest. Uh, it has. The, well, I know from, from the other side, everybody who's like furthest on the more progressive side, I, from our perspective, we're over it. Cause it's like, you guys are literally like, you're, it's a, it's a Trojan horse. It's like sure, social, equity, sure. social equity, social equity. And then you have, you know, J and J gambling and, and land of Lincoln gambling who are winning these licenses. And you're like, I'm sorry, what the hell is equitable about somebody who owns a thousand, you know, gambling stores in Illinois to get a cannabis license? But yeah. And thank you for bringing that <laughs> I'll, up. I'll, I'll take my own self back. Self. No, it's okay. Thank you for bringing that up, honestly, because it's something that if folks didn't know, it's important to bring up, you know, a lot of the 
people that are by the color of the law, probably social equity. They probably did live in an area or hired a number of people or whatever they did to fall into that criteria. But that's the thing. I, I just like, that's what I start to wonder. I, this is not unique to cannabis either. I've heard of like in the can in the construction industry, people will like, um, you know, have their wife listed as the principal officer so that they're a woman owned business. And then they get the contract, you know, because it goes to WEB or whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah. it's like, I, I wonder if we're, um, if we're creating to like, why not keep it simple and just, you know, cause I get the idea, but it's like, like, I'm not saying we have to disband it, Peter. I want to be very clear about that. Cause that's what it kind of sounded like I was just saying. Again, I want to keep these elements intact, you know, like I like the idea of a license holder fee that would go to social equity people. And there should be a a criteria. This is what we're talking about right now for those people that would qualify to be able to get those funds. So I'm not saying we disband these ideas. I'm saying we need to tweak them. And to your point, we can have that discussion this summer and, uh, you know, I'll help you a little bit or maybe because I'm going to share your link in bio. We'll put this in the uh, podcast description so that people can get involved. It looks like there's different ways to support the coalition. Um, I just want to reiterate something that you said earlier, like uh, folks get involved, but, but more importantly, try to think of like where, where exactly you can help. Cause I'm sure that, you know, Peter, that everybody's doing a certain thing. So if you've got your niche, you know, get into it uh, and try to offer that up. I, I just say that because, you know, it's not like, of course, the more the merrier, but you don't want, just want people standing around. Right. So try to come yes, in with a, that part with a goal. Right. That's uh, so that I, there's your people know, yeah, anybody. Is, thank you so much. So yeah. That's like the perfect call to action. Yeah. There's a space for everybody at this table. We, you know, we just want to know what, what it is you want to do, how you want to contribute. And, and the, the, there will be a chair waiting for you. Um, you know, we are very much open about like who's at the table, as long as you believe in this mission and you know, you're welcome to be like, especially if you're new to the space, like, you know, we'll teach you kind of the ins and outs and how it all works. But like, as long as you're open to, you know, learning and, and being kind of taught hands on as well as you know, again, just you're on board with the mission, like we need everybody we can get. Um, it does not matter where you live in Illinois, it doesn't matter where you live in the US, US country, we have way too much work to do. We got to make sure all these other states learn from our, our mistakes and, and make sure they get right um, before they get too, before it's too late, because I'm looking at, you know, Minnesota and Ohio and, you know, Pennsylvania, the states that are coming down the line next. And like, <laughs> listen to us, I swear, we're not trying to lead you astray. Um, yeah. So definitely, yeah. I encourage folks to reach out to us. Um, yeah. Again, just appreciate you sharing the platform with us. Yeah, dude. And I just want to say uh, thank you again for your time. And I, I just, I hope I didn't misunderstand you earlier. Like it, you said something like uh, getting challenged on this. I hope you didn't feel like I was trying to challenge you. I knew that we could get into these subjects because I I've heard good things about you and the people that I've heard the good things about. I know they tend to stand where I stand on those subjects. So that's why I was like, I don't give a fuck. I know we can get into this with Peter, <laughs> you know, for so. sure. Yeah, definitely. No, no offense taken. I don't want to mean there's like a negative connotation. I, okay, I, cool. I, as someone who's been in, in, in policy advocacy for like almost like as most of my adult life, like I enjoy having conversations like this. I want to always be at the table and like, cause the more mm -hmm. I can, you know, you can ask a question like, shit, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, like as an advocate, cause again, especially you spend so much time, your head is in the sand. You're like, Oh yeah, dude, these are all the solutions right here. And then it's like, Oh fuck. You just, yeah, it's a really good question. We didn't even think about that. So I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, definitely no hard feelings. These are these are the conversations that need to be had. 
frankly, like as, as open as possible, because, you know, people need to see, you know, need to see and hear like what is actually on the table? Why is it on the table? And, and how can community members affect ultimately what gets on the table? Because we don't want to act like we're the end all be all. This is something we're building the plane as we fly it. You know, don't take this is not. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, join us if, if you want to help us, you know, change this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I, I just wanted to make sure to say that because I've really enjoyed my time with you today and I'd love to have you back on the show anytime you want, but I'll, I'll reach out to you. But if there's anything that comes up like this, where you like need the platform, reach out, dude. Perfect. Yeah, we'll do. I think probably, you know, we'll see where these next nine days get us with legislative yep. session and open for the best, but again, appreciate you sharing the platform and all the work, man. Yep. All right. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Peter as much as I did. Um, We'll see you on the next episode of the Chillinoy podcast. Take care, everybody.